His first clear memory is of when he was only three years old. The young boy from Berlin was in Russia. He was sitting in a small chair, in a nearly bare and freshly painted kitchen. It looked wet. A flickering candle was set on the small table. He could remember nothing before this, nothing of Germany during the last two years of the war. Doctor Detlef Gerlach, retired OBGYN physician, shared what he modestly called his pretty interesting story with me several months into the COVID nineteen pandemic. He was born in June of nineteen forty three, five months before the British and the Americans began a series of hundreds of bombing raids. At least twenty thousand people were killed, and much of the city was turned to rubble. In February nineteen forty-five, Detlaf was with his brother and his mother, visiting his mother's sisters in the outskirts of Dresden, during the ruinous and still controversial firebombing of that city. The two boys sought protection under a huge table in their aunt's basement. More than twenty-five thousand people lost their lives, including his father's sister and grandmother. Three months later, during the Battle of Berlin, the vengeful Soviets laid waste to what remained of the city and terrorized its people, bringing an end to the war in Europe. But Dr. Gerlach was too young to retain explicit memories of these terribly traumatic events. His brother Ulrich, a bit older, was born in 1941. Their sister Ursula had been born two years before that, but died at six months of age, likely due to pyloric stenosis. When his mother became pregnant, third time, hoping for a girl, she reluctantly settled for another boy. Dr. Gerlach's parents gave their children unusual, but obviously German names. You see, he noted that his maternal great-grandmother was Jewish, and this, according to Jewish law, made the children technically Jewish. His parents feared that someone from the National Socialist Workers' Party, the Nazis, would discover this if their children's names suggested that despised ancestry. But how was a toddler from Berlin in Russia, after Germany's defeat in the war, they started? This is how. On October twenty-second, 1946, while Detlef's mother was visiting her sisters, and sometime between midnight and three in the morning, Russian soldiers, armed with machine guns, knocked on the door of their apartment and announced, You're going to Russia. You see, his father, Horst Gerlach, was an electrical engineer with Telefunken, he specialized in radar and missile guidance, and he was 
one of the many scientists whose technical knowledge was sought by the Allies as they tried to catch up to the advanced Germans. So the Russian military conceived Operation Asovayakim. They planned to simultaneously whisk nearly 2,200 unsuspecting subjects and their families from the post-war Soviet-controlled eastern zone of Germany to Russian soil. They dismantled the labs and carried them away as well. So a truck was loaded with all of their things, and young Detlef, his brother, and his father were off to the rail station. They had no idea where they were going or why. The trip on the unheated train to their mysterious and chilly destination took a week, a week that must have seemed forever to the two bewildered boys. When Detlef's mother returned home after calling on her sisters, the comfortable apartment was empty. Her neighbors, wary at first, eventually told her that Russian soldiers came by and left with her family and everything they owned. Dr. Gerlach said that his always pretty feisty mother headed straight to the Russian consulate. She demanded to know what happened, and she insisted to be taken to her family wherever they were. So they put her on a plane to Moscow, and then a train for 25 kilometers to the scientific town of Fryazino, a hub of electronics research. The communist Soviets hoped they could use his father's expertise in their quest for world domination after Adolf Hitler lost his monstrous bid for the scene. When the train carrying Detlef, his brother and his father, pulled into the station, Detlef's mother was already there, waiting to greet her anxious family. The two boys first looked at her, and then toward the locomotive that had dragged them away from their home. They were excited and quickly ran along the platform to get closer to, you may have guessed, the massive belching steam engine. The destination for his father was the Fryazino Institute 160, a Soviet research facility where they manufactured specialized vacuum tubes. There were about 200 Germans working at the institute. By 1947, the CIA was already aware of the facility, including the exact layout and even the names of those who worked there. The Gerlach family was housed in a cramped second-floor apartment with three unwilling German scientists. There was the small kitchen noted above, a single bath, and three bedrooms. So the four Gerlachs were essentially confined to living in one room. As Dr. Gerlach sat in our family room, and at an appropriate distance from me because of COVID-19, and flipped through the several pages of notes he had with him and thought carefully about telling me his story. I wondered if he could recall how he felt during this trying time in his life. 
Let me tell you about my parents, he said. They were absolutely fabulous and loving. He said that they tried to protect him and his brother from anything that might alarm them. Yes, his parents were worried about the Nazis getting them in Germany, and the six years in Russia were difficult emotionally, but the boys only remember being really happy kids, kids who enjoyed playing with discarded vacuum tubes. Ulrich, always the scientist, learned to identify the specific makers of these critical electronic devices. Younger Detlaff had more fun throwing them at the wall and hearing them pop. Dr. Gerlach noted that food was not plentiful in Russia and that his mother deprived herself so that he and his brother were not hungry. Sometimes the three took the train to Moscow to buy what they couldn't find in Fryazino, and they brought the treasures home in carefully guarded leather suitcases. New clothing was also scarce, and after desperate, Russians lifted theirs from their balcony one day. His mother knitted everything for them, including shirts, pants, and mittens. The boys went to a school with about 50 other German kids, and Tetlaff became fluent in Russian. His father worked on the fourth floor of the institute in the Kleistron vacuum tube lab making high-power amplifiers used in radar systems and missile guidance. The director was fellow German Dr. Karl Steimel. According to CIA documents, the Russians tried in vain to indoctrinate the Germans in Marxism and dialectical materialism. At one point, they enlisted a charming Mrs. Pipko to raise the morale of the group and to get Dr. Steimel, Schaff, and Gerlach to take over management of a cultural committee to ensure its success. The Russian Secret Service, the SS, tried to pit his father against Dr. Steimel to create mistrust between them to see, perhaps, if they were plotting something. But his father was wary and cautious and did not fall for this well-known geopolitical tactic. But one morning, before his father left for the lab, there was an ominous pounding at the door. The SS simply informed his father that he was going to Moscow. The family was shaken, and when he was dropped off back at their apartment three days later, Horst was horribly bruised and was missing two teeth. Nothing else happened. I guess his father didn't talk. Detlef's family spent six years living with fellow Germans and working side by side with the Soviets until one day when his father was no longer needed. The Russians were apparently able to get what they wanted from him and his fellow scientists, and he and they were now expendable. While some of his father's colleagues were sent to Siberia and were never heard from again, Horst was allowed to return to one of the Soviet-controlled areas outside of Russia. He could go to eastern Germany, Poland, or Hungary. He chose 
Germany. So in 1952, the family took another tiring rail journey. They could return to Berlin, but only to newly formed East Berlin, without the dividing wall yet. His father was able to work in electronics in his home country again, but before long he sensed that things were unsafe. He wanted to come to the U.S. This is where the story gets even trickier. You see, while the Russians had Operation Asovayakin to exploit German war-making know-how, we, the Americans, had our own version of such a program. It was initially termed Operation Overcast, but there were thorny immigration issues for those with a Nazi past. So selected sensitive files were simply noted with a paperclip and set aside. The name of the plan was changed to Operation Paperclip. Dr. Gerlach told me that this was a secret and very controversial program to bring thousands of German scientists and technicians, including hundreds of ardent Nazi supporters, actual party members, or even Nuremberg convicted and sentenced war criminals to the States. We wanted their expertise in instruments of war, including rocketry and the use of banned chemical and biological agents. The most well-known scientist who was quietly ushered here from the Third Reich was Dr. Werner von Braun, who developed the feared V-2 rocket for Nazi Germany and the massive Saturn V launch vehicle for the manned missions to the moon. But there were many others who ended up in prominent positions within NASA and other governmental agencies. According to author Annie Jacobson, after the start of the Korean War in June 1950, there was more urgency to be certain that the German scientists didn't wind up in enemy hands. This led to the so-called accelerated paperclip program with headquarters in Frankfurt and an office in New York City at the Alamac Hotel where scientists could live while they were waiting for their assignments. So in 1952, Detlef's father started working for an electronics company in East Berlin, but he wanted to leave Germany behind for good and come to the West. He was in touch with the CIA and British intelligence, and they agreed to help. The plan was to sneak him into West Berlin. One quiet Sunday afternoon, Detlef, his brother, and his mother took an innocent-seeming train trip to visit his aunts in Allied-controlled West Berlin. The brief journey was okay with the Soviet authorities, so long as his father stayed put. Horst was being watched, so he needed to evade detection, as he hoped to join the family. With detailed instructions from the CIA, he took one train and then another, before slipping onto a bus to lose his tail. The plan worked, just like in the movies, and he was then able to get on yet another train to his destination. After being reunited in West Berlin, 
the family was shuffled onto a plane to Frankfurt, where his father was extensively debriefed. After a few months, they were off to the ancient city of Ulm on the Danube in Bavaria for his father's job. After three years there, Horst was finally given the word that he would get to the U.S. Are you ready for more? Thanks for listening.